0: I'm Jennifer Julian Gaskin
1: and I'm Giselle Rivera Flores
0: and we are don't Don't touch Touch My my podcast society is trying to be inclusive but it's not always easy to understand what that means each week we delve into the complexities of diversity inclusivity and what it means to be a Latin and black woman in America
1: each episode contains powerful information to help expand your mind increase your cultural knowledge and gain insight to a world unseen tune in every week with us
0: let's talk about it hello everybody and welcome to don't touch my podcast this is our special summer series don't touch my politics and today we have a special guest here with us special guest could you introduce yourself and tell us your Worcester story
2: sure it's an honor to be here on don't touch my podcast my name is Christian King I'm a city councilor at large in my eighth term and I'm running to be the next mayor of Worcester. And my day job, I'm a social worker for over a quarter century in the city, working with teens and adolescents and youth. I'm a coach, a girl dad, and really, over my years on the council, everything I do with an equity lens. As the first black male elected since 1936 in 2016, 80 years, and also as the first black male ever elected citywide, my life and my profession, well, self and my political self always looks at things through equity. And I think that's an important perspective. As a social worker, we currently um, are in the midst of, I think, an inflection point here in the city of Worcester. And we're looking at a renaissance that didn't lift everybody up. A lot of things are going well. We have a popular mayor, a likable mayor. But what I bring to the table is a perspective that's rooted in clinical awareness, the understanding of systemic barriers, the importance of relying on evidence-based research when it comes to housing, when it comes to the unsheltered, <clears throat> when it comes to our youth. And I think it's that unique perspective that I bring as a father, a husband, and youth advocate.
0: That's great. Is there anything you want to share with us about your journey here <coughs> in the city sure. and what what initially made you want to run for this position and then what is making you want to be reelected and specifically this time around looking to be
2: the next mayor of the city? Sure I'm not quite sure how far to go back, but I played ball here in the city basketball and I had a lot of friends who were playing and when I got to college, I, I wanted to focus on uh, sociology and learning about how people end up on their path. and I wanted to look at black males in particular and their trajectory and their development. That's how I started out and again with an equity lens and by the time I was a sophomore I think in college I had been a pallbearer in, in two funerals and three three folks that I know had passed away from violence and I wanted to make a difference. I come from a family of folks that help. My oldest brother is a former commissioner of prisons in Philly and Baltimore and was engaged in criminal justice reform long before It was a catchy term. In addition to that, he was the youngest and first openly gay commissioner of prisons in a city the size of Philadelphia. And my my other brother is a retired US major artillery. So we are public servants. My parents came from the island of Bermuda, first generation American. They were undocumented for a period of time. Business people deeply rooted in their faith and in their community and taught me how to give back. So that's the genesis of things for me in terms of making a difference. I think on a cultural front, the two biggest things that influenced me in my life was reading the autobiography of Malcolm X in probably seventh, to eighth grade. And then I think hip hop back in the day was really culturally conscious and uplifting and all meshed together. So I knew I wanted to move that way and became a social worker, got my masters degree in that and went on and advocated at the State House for things like foster kids, more money, trying to deal with disproportionality, which means how Children, black and brown kids, are treated differently in the juvenile justice system and the child welfare system. And through that, an opening came up as, for a state rep. And I ran for state rep in my side of the city. I'm um, hoping to make a bigger change on the front of youth and families. And I lost. But when I ran at the time, most folks were, were telling me to run for uh, city council. But I didn't really know what it was, to be honest with you. I was a grown man, but I was coach. I coached at Becker, I coached at Quinceg, St. Peter Marion, all that stuff. So I was a coach, a social worker. I knew what city politics was. I knew the mayor and all that, but I wasn't really into it. I said, I'm not, people approached me. I said, I'm not interested in potholes and stop signs. I'm all set. And then Eric Garner was murdered in New York. And on the city council here in Worcester, there was a lot of things going on. And the visual was you had a lot of folks that looked like me, and allies who were non-people of color on one side and then you had almost an entire swath of Mm -hmm. elected officials that didn't look like me outside of sarai rivera and during that time there was a lot of back and forth i went to my first city council meeting there were folks yelling that they felt that the government was racist here in the city i remember mayor petty grappling the meeting and trying to get order and then at, at one point, this was in the middle of police reform on that level, and in the midst of that, Connie Lukes, who was a counselor, brought forth a resolution to praise the Worcester Police Department. I remember this. And what happened was we had some, some young men of color who were advocating, and some of the counselors, It was a counselor, Gaffney, they, they targeted these people by name in the gallery. And after Petty Gavel, the, the meeting to get down, and the, I think all that stuff, and Connie Lukes put her hand on her hip, and she said to the crowd, if you don't like it, come on the side of the chamber. And I went home, picked up the phone, called my friend who's now passed away and my campaign manager many years, Chris Condon, and we decided to run. And we made history. And when I first got in, I, I was learning. I didn't talk a lot the first year. I remember Timmy Murray, I'll drop that name, telling me I need to talk more. I think he would like me to talk less at this point. Um, <laughs> but but that sort of thing was, for me, it's about listen, learning, and leading until you, you got into your niche. And mine is clinical social worker. I'm very proud of having been a part of bringing on social workers into health and human services so we can respond to many of the social ills in a way that's more clinical. We've done that, making sure that we have a response of social workers that go out on mental health calls when, it's, when 9-1-1's called, making sure there's more social workers in our schools for social emotional growth while we remove the police officers. So all those things are important in bringing back middle school sports as well in the city. And while we do that, what I'll say is if you look at the, the record on taxes, so we have a dual tax rate every year, we increase the tax rate. Yeah. Um, and when we increase the tax rate, we increase it Um and the business folks, there's a, 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 the business are taxed at a higher rate than the, than the residential. And every year, the mayor, the current mayor, Petty, votes for a tax rate that's more burdensome on the residential, which means it's more burdensome on the renter. And I'm very proud of my record of making sure that when we do raise taxes, it's fair. And that's something that I will always stand on. Accountability is important, and I'm known as someone who will speak up and ask the right questions to get where we need to go, and also trying to remain connected to the community. and Participating in podcasts like this are so important because the different audiences that you connect with, you never know what comes out of that. I was just at a plant, and I met someone, who, and I learned a little bit about more of climate crises that I wasn't aware of, biodiversity crises, mm-hmm. and that influences your governing. So I'm looking forward to see what comes out of this in the future, this podcast.
1: I appreciate that answer. I think I always say I speak for Jen and I when I say that we agree with a lot of the sentiment that you have there and some of your things that resonate with you from our policy point and why you ran for council. Jen and I also think that's why people should run for council and people that look like us primarily should be voting and um, participating in local government because change starts here And I think that a lot of people look at our highest executive branch like CODIS and thinks that is the way you make change. But in fact, it is through your local government that you make the greatest change, your school committees, your city councils, your mayorship. That's where you make change. And it's more impactful on the day to day lives of people. So I appreciate that. So you mentioned a little bit of some of the things like accountability, transparency, the clinical side, what are your top three reasons for seeking election?
2: Yeah, I'd say my my top reason for for seeking election is to ensure that the public is informed about where we're moving as a city, what the rules are, and communicating that in a way that's understandable. And given my background and my profession, I know how to reach different people and different phases of their life. Another reason I run is, is representative government. It's important. Um, I can't tell you how powerful it is um, when someone points at you and says, wait, you're a what? You're a city councilor? Mm-hmm. You look like me, knocking on a door and seeing a, a person a young person and, and being out on a basketball court if you're officiating or coaching or just there and folks seeing it. What's similar to we have a lack of a diverse po- teaching teachers or educators in our public schools. and things are slowly changing where we're getting assistant principles of color and principles of color. It allows people to aspire to what they can be. So rep- representative government's important. It's also important to be very diverse in your thought when it comes to all the different communities, all the LGBTQ, Latino communities, black communities, the migrant communities. That's extremely important. And it's something that I bring to the table. And I would say, lastly, I run for my family. I run for my three daughters. Right now, we're having an absolute assault from our Supreme Court on rights and liberties of women and of people. We're having an absolute assault on voting rights and suppression and how we learn about who we are and how we came to be in this country and how and what we bring to the table. Knowing your history and what it really is can also lift you up out of your life circumstance when you have that broadened perspective. So I really run for all of those reasons and more. When it's been an honor to serve for eight years. Never thought I'd be on the city council. And now it's time to lead the next chapter in Worcester's history.
0: I appreciate that. And I think about <clears throat> what you said about representation every day. Every day when you go to work as a person of color and in particular as a black woman, there's things that happen like on a daily basis that make you really question like, why am I showing up? But I think what you said about representation is the part of why I show up. Mm. Because I want other people to see that a black woman is sitting in that seat and she's the leading. And we were talking about before we started recording about being authentic. Mm. And I just show up as myself. Um, So I think it's really important that people see people like them showing up as themselves in these positions of leadership and able to show change and be able to see things from different lenses. So I I truly believe that representation matters, but representation and also the action behind that representation is very important. I think
2: also I think the other piece to it is you think about jobs, you think about access, opportunity, opportunity. When we're doing things for the campaign or we're doing things for the community, I have my own personal circle Hmm. of people that I've met along the way over the years. And often that's influenced by who you are and the community you come from. When folks are looking for perhaps employment or they're looking for recommendations or they've come across a situation that's unfair and they have to navigate a system, to have someone you're familiar with and that's from your community goes a long way. And we haven't had that here in the city. And it's been a challenge as a black elected official, as the elected officials of color, I'll speak for the folks that I also serve with, Sean Rose and, and Sarai Rivera during these times. It's, it's additionally challenging during Black Lives Matter, police mm-hmm. reform, all the assaults we're talking about, and the expectations that, additional expectations that you carry with you. And that's an honor, honestly. It's a blessing to be in that position. And yes, it's a bit of a weight, but it's important. And our communities are adjusting as well. Our community, our communities here are adjusting on all sides to elected officials of color and understanding what it means and where they come from. And as we move forward as a city, I think that's going to completely change. We just had a forum, the Community Labor Coalition Forum. Not all the candidates showed up, but the ones that did, they're all people of color minus the current mayor. And that's something that's changed since my first run. It's changed significantly, and particularly when you talk about candidates of color actually have a chance. And I believe that this candidacy right here is the first one that anybody around who's currently engaged in politics has been in where there's an elected official of color who's a viable candidate.
0: So and that's I, me, by the way. Yes. We, others, yes. But. Yes. I would hope. <laughs> you, I hope you're talking I did, I did, about I yourself. Say
2: that, <laughs> but, uh,
0: I, I, hope, I hope you're saying that about yourself. So I have a kind of two part question here. So there's been a lot of conversation about the charter for the city Ooh. and in particular around Ooh. the current government structure with the city manager versus a strong mayor system. So my question is two part in. Why did you feel like this was the right time mm. to go for mayor? And then, second of all, are you for a strong mayor?
2: Sure. Why now? It's a great question. I think that Worcester's been behind. When you take a look at Worcester, I think I bring a forward looking perspective. I've done it on a couple of fronts. You look at the police reform with the clinical response to, to safety in schools. You look at a clinical response to go out with our mental health calls. All those things are forward-thinking. Body cameras, we were talking about them in 2015 when I first run it. It took eight years to get them on. I'm not quite sure why, but continuing to push that. Worcester's been behind in body cameras. We were the the last city of our size on the eastern seaboard to bring body cameras forward.
1: Anybody else give them
2: a statement? Oh, my Mm -hmm. God. So we're behind in that. You think about... <clears throat> inclusionary zoning. I was pushing inclusionary zoning at Augustus going back to <clears throat> the end of my first term when they were building the luxury apartments on Front Street. And I was asking the questions, why can't some of them be affordable? And we began. And I, I remember I brought him a, my, my iPad and I did a little presentation to him and he wanted to divert me to the research bureau. And I said, no. So I knew I needed to build a coalition in the community, housing coalition. And I began, but the folks in the housing coalition were concerned with how the city manager would react to them joining me. So it took a period of time. When the, when the Tell and Two won their election, I informed Augustus that I was bringing forward inclusionary zoning in the spring. He clearly beat me to it. <laughs> and he brought forward his version of it. But we were behind an in inclusionary zoning once again. We need forward thinking. We need to be on the cusp of things. And what we've experienced with this current leadership is take a look at public health through sex education. That's been pushed for years in the city council. The mayor is the chair of the school committee. It took six, seven, eight years. Folks were backed down because of religious reasons. They backed down because of other reasons. And they constantly said the same thing. Let's wait for the state. Let's wait for the state for police reform. Let's wait for the state for body cameras. Let's wait for the state for public health most recently we've seen us as a city coming out as we should with come up with a housing unsheltered homeless sort of task force which is great but that came on the cusp on the back of Governor Healy coming out with a similar task force and we can't wait for the state we have renters who are drowning. We have a situation with the whole with the unsheltered population that's spiking. We need to be forward thinking we can't continue to wait. When I think we have to also have a leadership that relies on data. If you look at the data regarding housing and the unsheltered, the data is there in terms of how we need to move and we need to respect that. That's why the other reasons we need a, a city government that reflects us and I think it's time. In terms of strong mayor, weak mayor, Plan E, form of government in the charter. There's a lot of empty rhetoric out there. I support a strong mayor. I don't support a strong mayor. I don't know. Even on the council floor. And the fact of the matter is that the council wanted to move this forward, we don't need a charter commission. Mm -hmm. We need eight votes or so. I think it's a super majority. We could do it. And then the conversation goes to, you gotta include the public. If the council votes for it, we vote to put it on the ballot. And then the people do choose. The other way is the charter commission. I mean, yeah, and that's comprised of people, and it's another process. So it could go that way, but it takes votes. Anyone can sit here and talk about it. You have to vote for it, and that will change the way we are governed. Right now, city councilors um, are part time, make around thirty thousand. The mayor makes a little four or five thousand more than that. Um, it's part time. It excludes um, some folks from not being able to do that um, because it's not compensating you enough, or if you're in a lower income bracket and you have two or three jobs, how are you going to do it? You mm-hmm. can't participate um, in the government. All those things are on the table. And I think we, we need to move forward at some point because this form of government would work if we as a council did our job and provided oversight for our employee as a city manager. And what happens is you have different political interests. If I'm a district counselor and I want a playground done, right? You don't want the manager dragging your feet. So you might tiptoe around how you deal with that person or not, depending on who you are. Um, But the the key to plan E is um, having a city city council um, that treats the city manager um, like the employee that they are um, as a board as they move forward. And I'm known for doing that. Eric Batiste is our new city manager. I supported the process. I voted for him in the end. I think that he has a skill set wherein he has the ability to be an effective an effective city manager. The challenge is we the process was circumvented. We circumvented with the leadership of Mayor Petty. And I think we would have ended up with the same with, with Eric Batista to be honest with you. But the difference is when you go through an entire process, you don't owe six counselors. You don't owe seven counselors, you owe the process, and you have the ability to chart your own course. When that's circumvented, now there's allegiances and paybacks. And I'm not saying that happens, but it, it, it has the propensity to potentially happen. If you look over on the school side, they did a the statewide search, a, a, a nationwide search, did their process, the, the superintendent doesn't owe anyone anything, she owes the process. And uh, that's what we were looking to accomplish. Um, some folks in the latino community didn't get it but the issue is this now we were trying to set a precedent where we had a process we rooted out what works well with a city manager what didn't with the last city manager put that in the job description make sure that we're equity minded we're focused on this that and the third where are the priorities of this person who's coming in how do they align with the city's priorities and the community's priorities and then moving forward it's all on the record we didn't have that opportunity till after the facts And that would have set a precedence for the position. Now, and the other piece is diversity is important. Representative government is also about folks who are appointed. There's no one else in the pipeline that looks like Eric Batista or me. I don't know that there's a woman in the pipeline who perhaps would go through a process that we're aware of and become city manager. And so now you've created a circumvented process which would undermine equity. And that's something that I stood firm against and there's political consequences with communities, but it was the right thing to do.
1: Yeah, and I know that we were on the same side in where we were not saying that Batista did not have the skill sets nor the qualification. It was more of the process. And I think that if things get a little dangerous, like you said, you set a precedence, you set a tone of how we behave and what's acceptable from here on out. And what we're saying is, This is a promotion and this is not a promotion. These two positions, the position he holds now, the position he held before, they're not in going up the ladder. You get the promotion. Now oh, next one is mayorship and people that are the mayor that think they can get promoted and become senator. Like these are not promotions. These are elected positions, these are appointed positions, and they should be open to discussion, especially when they have to reflect the work of the community and they have to reflect our people
0: and even to take it even more basic than that i don't know anybody that gets a six-figure job without an interview
2: Look, just saying you know I, that's a whole I, other i've episode. shared <laughs> this a number of times i've shared this a number of times i'm a frontline social worker in my world you go through a process yep and the other piece that's important is you know where the administration is going because through that process, you set your standards based on how you respond. And if the city councilors are voting for you, let's say conclusionary zoning, that would be part of my question to, to the incoming city manager. And we would know up front. And then if you vote for, for that person, you know where your mm-hmm. values lie. It's all transparency and accountability. And unfortunately, we, we skipped that process. So people were wondering. And that's the challenge with Plan E. So there you go.
1: Awesome, I appreciate that. Also, the next question for you was going to say, how do you show up for marginalized communities? But mm-hmm. I think that through your explanation now- I can say real quick. Oh, feel free, because I was going to say, I feel
0: so,
2: like you've told so, us how so you're showing up, So one of the things up, but... as an elected official, when I looked around during uh, a number of things, when I look in rooms, I'm the only one or whatever the case might be, mentoring is important in any profession or vocation or passion. And I looked around and I didn't see anyone around here that I could lean on that way. I'm a visionary co-founder of the Black and Latinx Municipal Caucus, which is a statewide caucus of municipal electeds. We began that with myself, now Senator Adam Gomez, former Boston Mayor Kim Janey, and some others, and when they were still in, in office. And that's about trying to influence the larger politic. In addition to that, I'm one of the visionary co-founders of Black Families Together. After the um, Black Lives Matter and police reform stuff here in the city, I knew it was necessary to bring together some of the leaders in the Black communities, the now or never thing. And I knew it would require challenges internally, and that we had to have those family discussions. Done that, I filed orders to create LGBTQIA commission in the city more recently along with the commission for the black community. Those things are important. And internally I've rolled up my sleeves and gone to work and I've been meeting regularly with NAACP, with the fire department, with the police department, with the public schools and their diversity offers to look at their internal over the last three years on the outside, just looking and trying to help them through their process of educating their workforce and making sure that the populations they serve, if they're students or if they're the public at large are not disproportionately impacted in any sort of unhealthy way. Those are some of the things, I know there's more things I've done I can't think of, but those are some of the more systemic challenges. And there's always those individual things that you deal with as well. So that's, again, I govern with an equity lens.
0: We've talked a little bit about, we've talked a lot about diversity, equity, inclusion. Mm. Another topic that has been talked about a lot here in the city is gentrification Mm. and jobs, which kind of go hand in hand a bit. Mm. So I'd really love to hear from you in becoming our next mayor of the city, what would your perspective or approach be around dealing with gentrification as well as uplifting the community that's here in terms of jobs and equitable opportunity?
2: Yeah, one of the, the basic things, um, I'm a regional vice president of my union, SCIU Local 509. We know that local jobs are important uh, for economic development. To have a local workforce, you might you must have affordable housing. You must have livable wages. I've been arrested in the past for advocating for increasing the minimum wage. I think it's around $34 an hour or so you need to have a four- to two-bedroom apartment right now in the city. Mm-hmm. The minimum wage is, what, around 15 or so, $15. And we have folks working. And when they're working, if they're parents or if they're taking care of their elderly or whatever the case might be, someone who's disabled, when something goes wrong, they're always like, where's the guardian? Where's the adult? They're working their second or third job. It's where they're at. And then, of course, we don't have enough after school. Pro- it's a whole bunch right, of challenges. Right, it's a whole thing. <laughs> so the point is that we need a, a local workforce. And gentrification increases those challenges. With blessings come challenges. And with challenges come blessings. But when you have an increase in development, property Values increase, taxes increase, and the problem is that the wage hasn't been increasing comparatively anywhere in this country. And the wage gap is significant. It's more significant for communities of color and more significant for anyone who has begun from an impoverished position, no matter what your identity or race or ethnicity is. In terms of gentrification, one of my main things going back, like I said, was the inclusionary zoning piece. Mixed housing is important. I think zoning, we have to change our zoning so that we can have different sorts of housing in different parts of the city, um, not just zone for single housing or single house homes, single family homes. That's important. I've called for a gentrification mitigation plan because the city does do things in pockets. Right. Mm -hmm. We do some affordable housing here, some affordable housing there. But we should be able to, as anyone should be able to go to the city and say, hey, this is our gentrification mitigation plan. This is what it looks like. And I think it goes back to doing your research, evidence based research, Um, not fear mongering that we're going to drive developers out. But more around, how are we going to mitigate these challenges? and At the same time, respecting people who have differences of opinion. People don't agree with. (laughs) interfering with the market people don't agree with impacting your ability to maximize your rents for profit but we have to engage with those in those conversations without dismissing them I think we have a a siloing environment here in the city um, where you're one side or the other and you can't communicate because you will learn something from someone that perhaps you can consider and that's the sort of leadership I'll have. When I think one of the things I encourage people to do is is don't look at what people say, look at how they vote. So we have folks that will always say the right things. They'll come into a podcast, say the right things. Okay, but how did you vote? Did you vote for a more expansive inclusionary zoning or less expansive? This last year, did you vote for a tax rate that was increased disproportionately on residents and renters, or did you not? When there's issues with... Police department, fire department, I don't care what department it is. Did you address those issues, how do they say, with the same energy Mm
0: -hmm.
2: in the police department that you do when there's Mm -hmm. a snow issue in the Department of Public Works? And if not, why not? And so I think those sorts of questions are for people who actually show up. And what I've learned over the years is that it's exactly who shows up. And some electeds, no matter what level, state, federal, municipal, local, they calculate what we were talking about for the program, not going to show up or you're just making noise um, and not having an impact. And I think what we're seeing is a, a beginning of an evolution here in the city um, where um, diverse communities and diverse voices are, are becoming more impactful. And I'd like to um, continue that sort of evolution in my candidacy for mayor.
1: And I think that's a great segue talking about diversity, inclusivity, making sure that you're not just showing up, but you're showing out, right? You're showing up and you're showing out and you're representing the people and you're sticking to your ideologies. I think that Jennifer and I struggle really hard when we hear people say one thing and behave in another manner and i think that creates a massive distrust w- between politics and our people and corporate and even this narrative of anti-capitalism where america is actually not anti-capitalist people that are rooting for affordable housing are not anti-capitalist they're anti affecting people they are anti pushing people away displacing people for the monetary pro humanity it's like team human <laughs> right. opposed to bottom team line dollar but also at the same time yes like you said growth when you want to expand and grow but i do think that there has to be a very conscious intentional purposeful way to grow and still maintain that viewpoint of that equity lens that you mentioned and keep the people on the forefront in where, yes, uh, some of the things we talk about a lot when we talk about housing, Jen's from Boston, I'm from Brooklyn. And it's like, you can instantly see that some of these neighborhoods are siloed off mm. and things only happen in those neighborhoods. Maine South only deals with homeless people. If you want a shelter, put in Maine South cause that's the impoverished areas. And, It's not okay. if you want to expand affordable housing, add it to a project that that's already here, uh, 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 something that's going through Worcester Housing Authority, opposed to saying this is about human beings and human beings have dignity and human beings have the right to live the same way everyone else does, despite their socioeconomic status and siloing people over into the hood does not create change in order for everyone to uplift themselves and uplift each other because this narrative is just, to be honest, just gross. And I want, as long as I've been in Worcester, I want growth.
0: Mm.
1: Jennifer wants growth.
0: Worcester can have
1: nice things. We want nice things. But we don't want nice things and have to trip over families because they've been homeless, because they've been displaced by their landlords, because their landlords now charge $4,000 in rent and they only make $49,000 a year as a family of three or whatever the case may be. And so we have to be intentional. And I think that's something the city has not done over the years. And I think that they continue to struggle with that debate. Growth, not really understanding that you can have both. And I appreciate that because Jen and I have been talking about this for, we're about season to go one. into season four in a couple weeks. And that's- Season
2: four and I'm just getting on. I'm looking forward to the future candidacy of Jennifer and Giselle Brooklyn, <laughs> no, 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 Brooklyn no. in Boston because the challenge is people always say no, right? But sometimes life puts you in a position where you're moved to say yes. And I sense that here today. On another note, yeah, this um, one. <laughs> with the siloing, right? I agree. I certainly agree. I think you've seen it. You, you see it with the various things. And intentional leadership, value-laden lead, lead, leadership is something that I pride myself on. And it's resulted in folks using terms such as divisive. Mayor Petty's termed it recently, uncivilized. Yes, Um, I've heard that. And I think, I'm sure, I'm quite sure that the mayor in the future will consider the fact that he's running against three candidates of color in terms like uncivilized, probably shouldn't be applicable in the race. And I'm sure that'll that change. That being said, the siloing happens when it comes to the tax rate, when it comes to police reform, when it comes to housing, and the conversation gets shut off, the transparency piece, the, the public Discussion piece, and that's the challenge. And as an elected, there comes times when some of the decisions you make are intentional, but they're also not what they call politic. It's not the right political decision in terms of re-election. But what I found in office is that I've always relied on what my friend, state representative, my wife will constantly remind me of: Why did you run? What are your values? And so when people talk about Councilor King being difficult, it's usually centered around people job safety, making sure that our youth are cared for, and not wavering when it comes to equity and transparency. And it's that sort of, of what people sometimes characterize as challenging that I'm extremely proud of. And at the end of the day, I think people respect you when you're able to share why you're doing what you do, share the evidence-based research that supports it. And we need a continued leadership that way.
0: But I feel like it's especially as people of color, as black and brown people, there are a lot of times when you know that the outcome for you is not going to be a good one. But you stand up and you do what's right because it's more important to do what's right than mm-hmm. it is for you to be reelected or for me to mm-hmm. keep a job or whatever the case is. It's more important to me that I stand on what's right, right. and what I believe in than to keep that job or to be elected to that position it's more important for me to do that right. but i also feel like people of color need to be aware <coughs> when they're doing that cuz I, when i when it happens i know that's what's happening and we've talked about this before i am aware that I'm sacrificing myself, but it's just that important to me. Whatever that is, it's just that important to me that I'm willing to sacrifice. You know, I, I
2: just met with a civics group of young people, probably, I don't know, 12, 13, 14 or so. Great group. And when we ended, I, I felt compelled to tell them because we we're talking about leadership. And I talked about leadership comes in different ways, not always someone up front, right? And I left them with, when you see someone standing up for what's right, you see someone who is trying to make sure there's fairness and accessibility. Never let them stand alone. Mm -hmm. When you think about LGBTQIA community, you think about women, you think about people of color, you think about the impoverished, you think about folks that need a second, third, fourth chance who are coming out of incarceration or whatever the case might be. Don't let them stand alone. And I think when you don't let people stand alone, You end up at a city council meeting, you end up at a community event, you end up supporting the arts, you end up supporting people. And if there's one thing that I hope to achieve at the end of my time in the office is that folks come together and don't allow people to lead or don't allow people to suffer in in isolation,
0: I think this is a good segue into the question that we have around arts and culture. I stood up a couple months ago at a city council meeting alongside another local organizer around some of the inequitable Mm -hmm. practices for BIPOC organizers in the city and how the city departments are able to basically strategically make it difficult for BIPOC organizers to do events in the city by being able to leverage policy and practice in an inequitable way. So to your point about standing up alone, it was two of us that stood up. And frankly, for me, we've been doing the carnival. This is our 10th anniversary.
2: Congratulations. Um, thank you. Thank you. i been to all of them.
0: Um, <laughs> yes, you have. Yes, you have. We do this event every year and the city does have the power to say no. So mm. I took that risk. I stood up there and I said what I had to say. But to your earlier point, don't let that person stand alone. I did not want to leave Jeff standing there alone. It was his petition to the city council. But when I seen that peti- petition and I knew that it affected us and we are the the largest BIPOC event in the city, I knew that I had to show up and stand beside him because if it was just him by himself, they could throw that away. And that is the importance of showing up for each other and showing unity. If people know that this has happened and show up, and support one another around that. So my question ultimately is, around arts and culture in the city, the city is a very diverse city. We have over 90 languages being spoken in school. It's very important that when people come to this city that they understand that they are welcome and included in the vision of the city, and arts and culture does that. How? What would you do, or continue to do, to stand up for arts and culture and support the arts and culture um, community here in the city?
2: Yeah, you know what? I, I think it goes back once again to intentionality, right? You have to be intentional this way. I think when I first got into office, it was Wow doing things and some of the other groups that were accessing CDBG funds or whatever the case might be, who are visible out there doing things. And I think now we have a group of artists that impact the culture. I'll be honest with you, I never realized until I think maybe I'm not even going to say when, but um, <laughs> I, I, I gonna yes, embarrass sir. myself. <laughs> but realizing the impact, I would say I always understood, but for me, during COVID, it was heightened mm-hmm. because I, w- I took my daughter out the house. Sometimes in the car, we could go look at some of the art. We were walking in the park mm-hmm. more than anybody. People must have been in shape. I don't know. During COVID. <laughs> It wasn't, I was eating bread. (laughs) She
1: was like, I was on the couch eating bread. I'm still trying to get rid of this (laughs) weight.
2: It's important. And art and culture touches so many things, right? Music, food, obviously, people, and it uplifts. So it's important. I'm certainly willing to continue the work that's going on. But what I'd like to really do, and unfortunately, as a council, we're not always privy to all of the information, right? So we have these commissions. And I talked about this I don't know if it was last night in my subcommittee meeting, we had a meeting where we we're trying to expand constituent services, what have you. But I talked about the commission. So the commission's report to city manager so he can do things, right? That's the front line. But those ideas and concerns and recommendations always make it to the council, so we don't know about it. So I think as a mayor, obviously the first thing you want to do is pull in those community members and try to go outside of the box because you see the similar faces all the time. But it's a matter of trying to reach out to some of the folks that you've come to know in the community and get a sense of what their agenda is. So I don't know if the community's built their agenda, if it's been co constructed with the city, to what degree. So that's something that I would commit to. Certainly I think with regards to events, we gotta make it we have to make it easier. We have to make it easier for folks to do events in our parks and in our spaces. I certainly support that and funding is always important too. Mm-hmm. Maybe we need to look at how our funding for the arts and things, have it, has it been stagnant? Cause I haven't looked at it. I don't know if it's the last 10 years. Has it increased? Is it the same pot of money? Who's getting it?
1: Start Things there. of that
2: nature. I think it's a process. And people have to remember, again, mayor and city council in the city of Worcester, second largest city in New England, you have a full-time job. So Jennifer has her job. Zell has her job. And you add on that to everything you do right now add on at city council and people forgetting because I forget myself sometimes <laughs> that it's not full-time and that's a challenge so when you want to research how we can do things differently green initiatives and things like that sometimes you gotta rely on community interns your own family yourself because of the lack of support so we're going to address that but I'm, I'm open to, to to hearing from the community directly first
1: the queen of arts and culture is waiting patiently. Oh. <laughs> I'm, um, I'm tapping my so
0: tapping my fingers over <laughs> here.
1: And I know Giselle is going to make me yep. ask
0: the next question cuz she knows this is my <laughs> question. She loves this question. This is the most important question of the show.
2: No, I'm kidding.
0: Are you pro chicken?
2: Absolutely. One thousand
0: percent. All right. See, that was it's easy. Absolutely absurd. I don't, I, I don't understand. We got some
2: people, the chair of the economic development committee, who's outgoing and does not support it. I've been on the record. I support it. I know some folks have concerns. We can address those concerns as they arrive. I don't think they'll be as prolific as folks say it will be. Not everyone's from the islands, so they're not used to you know that noise. Not everyone's from the country or from a farm. They're not used to, to the noise that they're concerned about or somebody feasting on eggs or animals or whatever the concerns are, I think it's time to give it a shot. And we, we got to stop like dragging our feet. Let's just do it. And if there's a major issue, we can address it.
0: Somerville once again has behind. it.
2: Behind. New
0: Bedford mm-hmm. has it. Fall River has it. We're the second largest city in New England. I'm ready New to England.
2: vote it. I'm ready to vote. And I've, said, I've
1: myths, said it in the
2: committee. I've said it on the floor. And to
0: the to myths are it. ridiculous. They like are you ridiculous. could simply Google And the Mm -hmm. myths are ridiculous. They
1: have been demystified. This has been amazing. We really appreciate you being here, Christian. And Jennifer has some last words.
0: This has been a great episode, great conversation. Do you have any last things that you want to wrap up and and tell our audience?
2: This is a very important election. We have an opportunity to move Worcester forward in a forward-thinking manner. We have an opportunity for the community to speak. And it would be an honor to serve as the first black mayor in the history of the city of Worcester, be an honor to serve our children, our families, our businesses. On November 7th, I humbly ask for your vote. And kingforworcester.org is where you can reach us. And my campaign manager is with me if you could share a little bit more. Hi, don't touch my podcast listeners. My name is Asa. I'm the campaign manager for Christian King for Mayor. Woo. You can learn more about our campaign at kingforworcester.com where you'll find our volunteer link and our Act Blue donation link. We need to
0: raise a lot more money to make this happen, so please do consider donating. With your support, we can make history in Worcester November 7th.
1: He's in charge of doing all commercials on Don't Touch My Podcast. Exactly. No, I don't even need to do my commercials anymore. On this special
0: summer episode of Don't Touch My Podcast, we'll talk to you next.